1: Uh, We're going to continue in our teaching series through the book of James today. Uh, We're actually on our 16th session. Now, some of you are probably thinking it feels like 116th session, but I I promise that come around Easter, we're going to finish up James if the Lord tarries, and we're going to dive in to looking at a little bit different truth throughout the Easter season. But today, we're going to continue in chapter 4 of James, and and we understand that James is writing to Christians who are outside of the capital city there in Jerusalem, and and this Jesus thing is a pretty new deal. And, And so James is writing to help them see and focus how to shape their lives around this new reality of a resurrected Savior. And so we see, James, that his primary concern is that the lives of his readers, that the lives of those who profess Christ would reflect, would show their love for Jesus by obeying his words, his commands. His primary concern, his thesis, the main idea, if you will, is that those who profess Christ would not just hear his words, but that they would be doers of his word. As we studied last week in chapter 4, James really used some kind of shocking language, some vivid word pictures for us that we might understand that if we're dabbling a little bit in the world, that if we have one foot in the church and, and one foot in the world, that James says we're actually committing adultery, and he calls his readers in that position adulterers and adulteresses. Now we know that through this flow of the letter of James that this is stark language because he's been using brothers and sisters and dearly loved and beloved and all of that and he shifts here. He's trying to get us to see the gravity of what we're doing when we make that choice. He's helping to illustrate the truth that when any time we're choosing to harbor a little bit of disobedience, to put something between God and ourselves, that when we live that double life, we're actually making ourselves an enemy of God. So James is pleading with us that we would come home that we would deal with those things that separate us, that keep us at arm distance from the Father, that we would not try to play two parts. The call of James and the call all throughout the Gospels to follow Jesus is an exclusive call. It's a call to be all in, head first with both feet, not a little dabbling in the world, dabbling in our preference and what he says. No, no, no. It's an exclusive call to follow Jesus with everything we have. It's a radical call to follow Jesus. Today, as we unpack our text beginning in verse 7, we're going to see a passionate plea from James that, that we would humble ourselves that we would once again come near to the Father, that we would give up what we've hung on to in the world and draw near to the Lord. And before we dive in, I wanted to try to help us to see this reality. What does it look like to come to that point where you humble yourself and turn back towards the Father? So will you watch this clip with me today before we dive in?
2: Leave a message after the tone. Hey, Dad. It's me. I, mean, I I know it's been a long time since we talked. I was, you know, was kind of hoping you'd answer, but um, I understand you probably don't want to talk to me. I've just gone so far, and the things I've done, I, I just regret it, you know? I know how bad I've hurt you and let you down, but but Dad, I. I miss you. I miss how we drive around and just talk about life. And I just. I just wanna come home. But I know you've probably written me off. a shot in the dark, but I'm uh, I'm coming through town soon, and, and I'd really just like to see you. I know I can't just show up at the front door like I used to, but, but if you want to see me, just hang a small sheet out on the porch. And if the sheet isn't there, when I drive by, I'll keep going, and, and I'll try not to bother you anymore. I love
1: you, Dad. What would it look like today in your life to turn back to the Heavenly Father? Let's begin our teaching text today in verse 7 of chapter 4. He says, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone anyone who speaks against a brother or a sister judges them and speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you actually are not keeping it but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? As your pastor today, I, I wish, wish for a moment I could read your mind right now. I wish I could read your mind to know what you're thinking when you hear James say, humble yourself. What, what, what feelings arise up inside of you when you read that truth that if we will humble ourselves, he will lift us up. I wish I knew what you were thinking, what you were feeling. In, in one sweeping text here, James, James is calling his readers to turn away from anything and everything that would hinder intimacy with God the Father. Have you been wrestling with something lately? Has God been impressing upon your heart something that he's calling you to deal with? James' call today is that we would deal with it. That we would deal with it. That we wouldn't continue to try to straddle this line of one foot in and one foot out. But that we would come to the Father. That we would humble ourselves. That we would submit to Him. And that we would know His embrace. Would you pray with me as we dive into our text today, Lord? Will you show us, will you show us today, Lord, those things in our lives that are between us? Your grace can do that. Lord, we're listening. We're listening, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. So let's turn back to verse 7. We're going to unpack a little bit of the language here and some of the ideas that James is trying to get us to see in this reality. He says, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. This first idea, this first instruction that James is giving is is that we would literally come under the authority of God, that we would take a stand against the enemy of our souls and against the enemy of the world, that we would stand on the side of righteousness Submit yourselves to God here. This idea is that we would willingly choose to place ourselves under God's guidance, under his authority, under his teaching, that we would submit to him in all areas of our lives. If you unpack the original word there, it can also mean to line up under him. And I, I can't help but think of, of Eliza's teachers in the daycare. Uh, when, when they need to go to the playroom, they, they come bursting out of the hallway doors and they've got to circle through the foyer to go up the elevator to the playroom. And I'm here to tell you, when those doors crack open, kids go wild, okay, because they know what's coming. But you have kids running amok, running around the foyer. Some are dragging along and screaming because, I mean, kids just what kids do. Some are over in the corner refusing to move, but here stands the teachers patiently waiting by the elevator for everyone to finally get done with what they're doing and submit to their authority. Now, I may or may not have instigated some of that running when I was an employee there. Sorry, Miss Kim. I love you but you see this reality that we can't go anywhere until we're all in front of the elevator sitting on our biscuits. And that's a little bit what James is calling us to here, that we would stop running around and pursuing our own ideas, that we would maybe even stop being in the corner stubbornly refusing to move, but yet we would come under and come in line with what he's calling us to do, that our lives might go somewhere that he can see and maybe we can't. But he's calling us to submit to him and whatever that call is submit to God. It means that we're going to be attentive to what he's saying. We're going to be attentive to his voice in our lives, his impressions upon our hearts. We're going to listen to what he's telling us and surrender and just say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. It's a willing submission to accept what he says about things rather than our own opinion on the matter. If I was to pass around a survey today, and, and the first question was, are you submitted to God? And you checked, yes. And then, of course, you always know the next line is, if yes, please explain. What, what would you do, what would you show today to show that you're submitted to God? What would that be? I, I know that in my own journey, to be honest, I've struggled with this I've struggled to to say yes to the Lord in all areas of my life. I I, I remember when I came back to the Lord, I I used to listen to all kinds of different music. You name it, I I listened to it. And well, you know, the the music contains messages and contains vocabulary that's just not pleasing to God. And it would even, if you listen to that hard and heavy rock and roll stuff, like it will do things in you. That's not pleasing to God. And and I remember the Lord impressing upon my heart that I needed to make a change. A change in what I was listening to. Now, I I, I was not surrendered. Because I argued. Uh, Lord, Lord, Caleb is so lame. Do I have to listen to that? Is it really such a big deal? It apparently mattered. Because God never would stop. Impressing upon my life. I'll just say it. He wouldn't stop bothering me about it, okay? And so I finally surrender to what he was asking me to do, and if we fast forward to present day, if you go in my car, I got one country station. I can't quite give it up. Pray for me. I got one country station and five other Christian channels, and it's all I hear because I want to understand God's message. I want to understand and put things in my mind that glorify him. I couldn't see it until I surrendered it, what was going on. And friends, I'm glad that this is a short service because I would have way too many of these stories. But uh, another one that was huge for me was alcohol. I loved the taste of beer. Sorry. I I loved it. And I I had been saved for a couple years, and and I never took my drinking to extremes, you see. I, I just enjoyed it. I literally argued with the Lord for a year about this. About giving up something that I perceived was not a big deal. I just enjoy the taste of it. I just have one or two. It doesn't go anywhere. I distinctly knew he was asking me to give it up, but I wasn't surrendered. And after way entirely too long, I finally just said, fine, 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 fine. We'll try it for 30 days. Well, it turns out I was actually addicted. I was actually addicted to that couple beers a day. I was medicating myself with what I was dealing with in the world, even though the world would say, What's the big deal about a couple of beers? You don't take it to extremes. What's the big deal? God could see something that I couldn't, but I had to surrender it to see it. Now, I know today I'm not the only one that argues with the Lord. What are you arguing with him about today? What is it in your life that you're arguing with the Lord? The call of James here in submitting to God is that we would take those things. That we would take those things that we're arguing with God, that we're pushing back against God, saying, I don't think so quite yet. What's the big deal? The call of James and the call of God is that we would lay those things down and come under the authority of what he says on the matter. I almost guarantee you he sees something that you don't in those moments, but we've got to give it up. We've got to surrender it to him. He goes on in this verse, he says, resist the devil and he will flee from you, and to resist here literally means that we take a stand against the enemy. And what's happening here, he's helping us to see that when we decidedly say that we are going to stand on the side of God and surrendering to him, we have taken a stand against the enemy of our soul. And he will flee because we have stood on the righteousness of God and surrendered to him. beautiful reality that James is helping us to see here is that when we choose to surrender to God, the victory is ours. Victory. Is verse 8, he continues on. He says, come near to God, and he will come near to you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. This reminds me of a saying, the ball's in your court. The ball is in your court. If we take verse 8 and what James is saying here seriously, and especially the order at which he says it, Provenient grace has put the ball in our court. If we will come near to God, he will come near to us. So as you think about that, the ball's in your hand. God's grace has put the ball in your hand. Now, if you play any basketball at all, one, you're better than me, but two, you know that you can't just stand there with the ball. You're going to do something with it. If we will draw near to God, he will draw near to us. The ball's in your court today. What James is helping us to see how close we are to God It's up to us. God's not in question here. His grace, His grace, it's only by provenient grace that He has put the ball in your court. But what will you do with it? Will you draw near and allow Him to lift you? Or do you want to go play your own game and do your own thing? there's this truth here that James is getting us to see. Grace has tossed us the ball, and now it's up to us to do something about it. We must first take that step to choose to be a friend of God and surrender to Him. It takes a step. It takes a step. James continues to unpack for us today what that looks like the latter half of verse 8, he says, wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double mind. And, and again, this is not just some random guy pounding away. No, it's a passionate plea of James to say, look, look, wake up. Snap out of your slumber and see the significance of what you're doing. This is a twofold plea by James here to give it all, to give it all to the Lord. And this idea of wash your hands, you sinners, and you got to remember the Jewish context that he was writing to, but it's looking back on that ceremonial rite of washing hands where they had to wash their hands before they could come to the Lord. And James is trying to get us to see here that we have to surrender our lives, our actions. There comes a point when we just have to stop doing some things. Now, whether those things are what you're listening to on the radio or what's in your fridge or how many trout you keep a day, what you have to do is we see that our lives were to purify our actions before the Lord. And if he's saying that to wash your hands is to purify our actions, then to purify your hearts is to deal with the heart of the matter, to come in and deal with that sin nature that is so torqued and bent our hearts that that's where the sin's coming from. And he says, deal with it right there. Because the reality is that the grace of God is so magnificent, is so wonderful, that he will come and purify your heart. And a pure heart has one single focus. It's one single focus on listening and obeying the Father. It's not a double-minded nature anymore. It's a complete and total surrender. A pure heart is humble. A pure heart puts God's desires ahead our own and first we don't have to worry God is faithful to show us these things we must respond we must respond I dare say today if God's dealing with you on something in your life you know exactly what it is I could go through an exhaustive list but you would you would know before I got started Friends, that's God impressing upon your heart. Things that are between you. He's calling us today to deal with it. To deal with it. Verse 9, James continues on. He says, grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. What James is trying to do here is trying to get us to see that we, we can't take those places in our lives lightly. We can't shrug it off. It's no big deal. If you took the original language there, that first word literally says to be, to be miserable. Think about that. That when we get oppressed upon our hearts, something that's between us, that we should literally be miserable. We should be in a funk because something is not right between us and the Father. We should feel grief. We should mourn that distance that doesn't need to be there. And James is saying, look, 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 this is important. We can't shrug those things off, whatever it is, because God has our best interest in mind. He's drawing us closer to him. We should grieve and mourn and wail over those places in our lives. Now, I don't know about you, but the voice I normally hear about those things doesn't say anything about being miserable. No, because the voice that I normally hear about those things is, what's the big deal, right? What's the big deal? I mean, look at the rest of your life. It's all, it's all right. This, this little spot over here doesn't matter. It's just a small thing. Nobody even knows. Is it really that important? What's the uh, What's the worry? That's the voice I normally hear, right? But James is saying, no, 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 you can't do that. It just matters too much. Look at the lengths that Jesus has gone to draw you in, to call you near, to deal with the sin that is ravaging your life. We can't take it lightly when we disobey him. Sin will always, without fail, separate us from God. No matter how big or how small. Always separate us. God, that's why James is saying we should be miserable about it. Miserable about it. That's that's getting at this idea of what humbling yourself looks like. to take the posture of surrender and humility in regards to all of those things, even the things we enjoy that taste good or that don't even seem like a big deal, James is calling us in humility to submit it all to the Father. Humility submits it all and that's where James ends there in verse 10, he says, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Friends, is there a greater promise, a greater invitation in all of Scripture? That if we will just come to that point where we will humble ourselves before the Lord, that we will encounter his embrace and his lifting us up. Why do we run? Why do we run? do we run? Friends, when God lifts you up, you are lifted indeed. You're in his embrace. And, and here in this idea, James, James is circling all the way back to the beginning of verse 7 where he's calling us to submit ourselves to the Lord. This idea to humble yourself before the Lord is to, with your entire being, acknowledge that we need God that we can't save ourselves, that we can't justify ourselves, that we can't even take the next step without him. Humility says, I need you, Father, in every aspect of my life. My very breath is yours. As you exhale and inhale, that's God's breath. It takes humility to say it's yours. It's yours. James is inviting us through the doorway of humility that we might receive the gracious embrace of the Father. Throughout our our text today, James has gone to great lengths to help us to see the necessity of repentance. Now, I know repentance is an old church word, but it's this idea that we are absolutely turning away from where we were going. It's a, a total abandonment from anything and everything that would separate us from God. He's calling us to do things differently. It's a radical call to turn away from where you've been going and turn to the Father. Something powerful happens in that moment, that moment of surrender. At the end of the road, at the end of your rope, something powerful happens when you turn back to the Father. You begin to see Begin to know he's been calling and drawing and longing for you to return. Powerful happens. Think about how that'll feel. Think about that promise that James just gave us that we will be lifted. How will that feel amidst the brokenness of our world, the the things that break our hearts from the choices that we've made or whatever it is? What will it feel like to be lifted by the God of the universe? What will that change for you forever? As you think about that feeling today, as you think about what that looks like to turn back to the Father, maybe it looks a little bit like this.
2: To me. I, mean, I, I know it's been a long time since we talked. I was, you know, was kind of hoping you'd answer, but um, yeah, I understand you probably don't want to talk to me. I've just gone so far, and the things I've done, I, I just regret it, you know? And I know how bad I've hurt you and let you down, but. But, Dad, I. I miss you, I miss how we drive around and just talk about life, and I just, I just want to come home, but I know you've probably written me off, I can't blame you, actually. Here's, here's, here's the thing, it's kind of a shot in the dark, but I'm, uh, I'm coming through town soon, and, and I'd really just like to see you. I know I can't just show up at the front door like I used to, but but if you want to see me, just hang a small sheet out on the porch. If the sheet isn't there, when I drive by, I'll keep going, and, and I'll try not to bother you anymore. I love you, Dad.
1: white sheets are out today friends from any road you're traveling on back to the Father when Jesus was teaching about the heart of the Father for, for those who had gone away or gone astray who had become friends of the world he, dis- he told his disciples a story a story we just watched a story of a prodigal son This was a son that that knew what it was like to be in the house of the father, that that knew what the father's desire was, knew what it was to have intimacy, but yet he chose his own way. And in in this story that Jesus is telling, this son literally walks up to the father and says, I wish you were dead. I'm tired of living under your authority. I'm tired of living your way. I have my own desires. Give me my inheritance. I'm out. And he did. He He went and lived his own way did his own thing, free from the authority of the Father. But there came a point at the end of his road where he humbled himself and looked back home. Luke chapter 15 verse 17 says, When he, the prodigal son, came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I'll set out I'll go back to my father and say to him father I have sinned against heaven and against you I am no longer to even be called your son just just make me one of your hired servants And so he got up and went You see there came a point in that guy's story where he had to surrender Where he said, golly sakes, even the servants in my father's house have it better than I do. They're under his authority. I want to go back. Just make me a servant, father. More than a servant, though. He was reinstated as a son. It says, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. That's the heart of the Father, friends. That's the heart of the Father. Why are we running? Why are we running? The ball's in your court today. You could have been a lot of places today grace got you here. It's your move. What's it going to be? What's it going to be today, friends? Whatever it is, whether you perceive it big or small, it doesn't matter what the world even says about it. It's only what God says about it. move today if you can't pray a better prayer then okay fine have it your way God pray that try him out for 30 days and see what happens Friends, so many times we can't see the significance of what God's asking us to surrender until we do humble yourself and he will lift you up. Today, friends, we've gone over you. Please forgive me. We've made a way to respond today. There's cards on either table beside the stage. And I invite you today that whatever God's impressing upon your heart, whatever you've been arguing with him about, would you surrender it today? Would you just come forward, write it on a card, and put it on the cross, and leave it there? Now, I, I know, you see, you think preachers don't know this stuff. I know right now there's a knot in your stomach that says, don't move. Oh, yeah, I know about that. There's a knot in your stomach that says, don't move. What will they think? What, what will people, oh, oh what's going what's gonna to happen? What's God going to do? Maybe today, friends, to humble yourself means to ignore that knot in your stomach and do what God's calling you to do. Will you respond today? Will you humble yourself? Ignoring that knot in your stomach is trying to get you to sit still. Write that word on the card and give it to Him. And feel His embrace. Mandy's going to sing. And uh, it's just an open time to respond. It's an open time to respond to His grace.
0: Thank you so much for listening today. You can email us at info at cotnaz.org for any questions about our church. When you're done listening today, please subscribe to this channel for updates and new episodes.